You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America. The DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Hey everybody, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Burke. And today on this show, I have Lynn Goldman. He is a call collector, firearm specialist or dealer, decoy collector, which we still, I still don't know what he collects, but we will get into it. All right. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Thanks, Katie. And thank you for having me. All right. So where do we begin? As I, uh, I said this earlier to you all fair, but um, I found out, got set up for this interview through Ryan Graves. He's a good friend of the podcast. He's come on once before and, well, two times before. He's a he's a repeat guest. A repeat guest. Yes, I had him on when I interviewed John Stevens, um, which we are here in Stuttgart at Kalapalooza. My first visit to Kalapalooza, but you're... I've been here three years uh, out of the five that they've had it. It's a, a really great event that John Stevens here at RNT puts on for call makers and collectors. It's uh, primarily aimed at current call makers and giving them an opportunity to show their wares, share talents, and it's a, just a great event that's put on this time of year. Okay, so I have a question about so I've asked this a few to a few people. I know quite a few, and I've had them on the podcast, quite a few contemporary decoy makers, um, Cameron McIntyre, mm-hmm. Marty Hansen. Uh, I just interviewed Jerry Tolleton. I also, am for, I know George Drunk. I've been to his place. One of the things that comes up with decoy makers versus like, there's a lot more contemporary call makers, right? Than there are decoy Absolutely. makers. So what my question is, because there's two types, you have well, three types of decoy makers. You have your decorative decoy makers, which I really don't put them in the same category because these but there's two types of gunning decoy makers, right? There's Correct. more mass produced. Uh, they're doing turning things on a lathe. And then you have these guys like Cameron and Marty and Jerry who are... Uh, Chisels Mar- and files. Yes. And, yeah. Okay. So why do you think... What do you think the... Uh, why there's such an entrance... There's such a narrow entrance into decoy making versus into call making. Why is there so many more people going into calls versus decoys? Well... I think that's a fairly easy question to answer. A, a duck call, average using call, yeah, is uh, going to be acrylic, uh, fairly easy and quick to produce. Whether it's by a CNC machine or hand turned on a lathe, it's going to be a whole lot easier to do that and a lot cheaper to market 
than a hand-carved decoy. Right. So then I guess let's say versus custom calls. So are there versus custom calls rather than the mass more? How how would that differ? Well, it doesn't. It it definitely does. You've got uh, a lot of different forms of of the higher-end custom calls, whether they be checkered, scrimshawed, materials are made out of, a lot of that type of thing. So the price is going to go up relative to the hours that it took to make it. Okay. So you get a, a guy hand carving a decoy. It's probably going to be about the same hours as a guy making a high-end contemporary duck call. It's checkered and raised panels and that type of thing, beautiful woods. Uh, I actually have a full set of Marty Hansen decoys that I gun He over. makes calls as well. And he makes some phenomenal calls, super talented guy. Yeah. And I, I think that would be a question that would be relevant to ask him because he can do both. Right, that's true. And that's very rare. Yeah, that is. There's not a lot of guys that make both decoys and calls and you can look back through history and that's the case as well back to the turn of the last century you had a few guys like charlie purdue he made decoys he made duck calls right uh skippy bartow in the 50s made decoys and he made duck calls because they kind of went hand in hand yeah why do you think then why do you think they didn't do it like why do you think like okay so to give a little back so i know why they didn't on the east coast because calls making was just not a tradition on that correct it's a mississippi flyaway specific tradition now it has grown to be the specific pacific flyaway but it started and was primarily mississippi flyaway so i understand why because decoy you know was born in the east coast but why do you think for the mississippi flyaway they didn't necessarily do both i i think that it started with more, of course, Indians used calls that they made out of reeds right. to call ducks. And that was more of a plains thing. Uh, but I think that decoys became very, very popular in the Great Lakes and on south. Uh, and then you get call makers really didn't start until you hit Illinois. And some of the great call makers right. early days came from Illinois, but then on south from there. Yeah. So you get into Tennessee, Arkansas, but the the original older calls, they were Illinois. Yeah, so that might be the answer right there is that, so in Illinois, that's like Purdue, he's an Illinois call maker. He did decoys and he did calls. And then as you go into Tennessee and Arkansas, you didn't need decoys. So maybe that's the answer is yeah. that just location and opportunity Correct. is why they and you, I mean, you get here and it's the stopping ground. So you've got millions of ducks versus up there, you're catching them coming through. So, yeah. And you're hunting them in timber here. So by the time they've committed to the timber, pretty much, you don't need a decoy to bring them all the way. Yeah, you rely on kicking the water and, exactly. and they don't need, they're not using their vision, yeah. but they are using their ears. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah, then Marty, of course, is Wisconsin. So that's a different situation as well. So, well, Marty does it. Because he loves it, and, yeah. and he's very, very good. Yes, he is one of my very first interviews, actually. Um, Great guy. Yes, I love Marty, and I was very sad. Um, I think this is the first year I haven't seen him in Chicago in a well, very long time. I did not make it and to Chicago. And he would have been so surprised, because you don't know this about me, but I've had three kids, and every time I see him, I'm pregnant, and he's like, why do you keep... <laughs> <laughs> so, he'd have been very shocked to see a skinny me. <laughs> so I'd like to know a little bit more, like with this, you've been to Chicago to that and then this event. So 
can you describe kind of how, since I haven't been here, what the difference of these two events are and like how, how they're the same, how they're different? Well, I think Chicago is geared uh, not only to all sporting uh, artifacts, uh, primarily decoys. It started as a decoy show and it spread from there. But you can find everything at, at Chicago, whether it be fish traps or old signs or duck calls, turkey calls, decoys, whatever. Uh, cigar store Indians. Yeah. Versus this is very specialized towards more contemporary current call makers. It's dedicate, dedicated to the art of call making. And that's what John loves, John Stevens from RNT. That's his deal is bringing back the art of call making. I guess it's promoting that and trying to bring more people Absolutely. aware of that and into that fold. And Well, guys that have a common bond, uh, they share a lot of information. That's one beautiful thing about this collecting uh, fraternity is that they're more than willing to share. In the old days, guys didn't like to share stuff. And today... These guys are more than happy. Uh, guys like Brad Samples, they they will teach you from the ground up how to build a call. And they love to share that information and knowledge. And it may have taken them 15 years to get where they're at today, but they will tell you everything that you need to know to get started. And, and that's great, you know, to share that. And that's what this is all about. Yeah, that's really neat. So you get to kind of, so you're learning from makers about how, why they make things the way they do and what they're exactly. making. And then on the on the other end of that, as I'm guessing, did y'all like, did collectors bring some calls here to like you kind bet. of you show bet. each other? And John Stevens is a tremendous vintage call collector. He has a incredible collection, which is on display here. And he loves that part of it. But on the other hand, he makes a living selling duck calls and making duck calls. Right. So, uh, he promotes the vintage call side of it as well, but we don't have quite the turnout here of vintage call guys as we do contemporary yes. call guys. So is it similar in, to Chicago and like, will y'all actually trade at all? Or like, oh, absolutely. Okay, so you'll have like everything. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and there'll be a section here for yeah. vintage calls. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be hundreds and hundreds of vintage calls. Got your eye on calls. anything? I don't because they're not set up yet. But I do know a few I was things like, well, that wait, are coming. But you know, I was to say, but you, I know how all y'all work, and you've already talked about it. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I want to buy what's under the table, you not what's me. on top of That's it. That's what I mean. I was like, because well, I've I've been around you guys. I know you've already had those conversations. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Are you? Did you bring anything for anyone else? I brought a couple. Yeah, gonna make some deals. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that's the fun part of it, and that's that's one of the reasons I got into call collecting. Um, is because for me, it's getting to hunt 12 months of the year versus I can only hunt ducks 120 days, but I can hunt calls all year long. So that's yep. the fun part yeah. for me. As Ryan says, the other duck season. Exactly. Okay, so let's go back and give us your your intro into the outdoor world, hunting, and all of that. So let's go all the way back. All the way back. Well, all the way back. Introduce us to you. Uh, I got... <laughs> Involved with the outdoors, um, I think probably seven or eight years old uh, with my grandfather up in Nebraska and my uncle who lived in Montana. Um, my parents didn't hunt. My dad didn't shoot any of that stuff. So it was very unusual for me to go that direction. But 
because of watching them shoot, I fell in love with the idea of hunting and, and being outdoors and getting to know that side of modern life. And it just always stuck with me. I started uh, archery hunting when I was about 11 years old, 10, 11 years old. I started field archery and then actually killed my first deer with a bow when I was 12 years old in Colorado, which is where I'm from. And it's even harder to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was very lucky. But anyway, um, <laughs> the deer ran into my arrow. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I had shot all my arrows at squirrels and grouse. Oh, yeah. And I had one arrow left when a deer actually happened to How walk under my deer stand. How excited was 12-year-old you? Um, <laughs> uh, they'll probably have to cut this, but I sat in the tree stand. The deer jumped my arrow, and it hit him square in the butt. Oh, yeah. Okay, but it hit the femoral artery. Right, okay. And he ran about 50 yards and laid down. And I I didn't know femoral artery from carotid. So yeah. I, I sat and went, wow, I think he's going to die. His head's, you know. So I took out my huge giant buoy knife, which had to be very cool at that age. Yes. <laughs> and I carved into the tree, let it bleed. <laughs> which was a popular Beatles song at the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it was Let It Be, but maybe. <laughs> it was Let It Be, but. Okay, yeah. It, at that point, it wasn't. <laughs> That's great. I love that story. So anyway, I, I, I went from archery to, I uh, got into a, a very unusual sport through a friend of mine in junior high school, falconry and birds of prey. Yeah. So I got to enjoy the only blood sport that you can release ahead of game unharmed. You can trade the bird off for another piece of meat, release the rabbit, release the duck, whatever. And and that, yeah, it is the oldest sport. Yeah. So uh, I, I did that for many, many, many years and pursued not only long wing falcons, but hawks. And I got into hunting ducks with the birds, which was an extreme thrill. Uh, there was nothing to me more exciting than watching a falcon come down from a thousand foot stoop where she was just a dot in the sky and you couldn't see her, but you could hear the bells on her legs and you could hear the whistling of her wings when she came down diving for ducks. And so that that is how I really got to enjoy the outdoors, to be part of nature in its truest sense. Right, right. Yeah, you're like, Literally to get to witnessing nature. To get to witness something that most people will never ever see. So I ask this to a lot of people about that like moment when they're in the outdoors. And it seems to be a similar answer, but you probably have a little bit of a unique one with where you start. Like where you just kind of have that awe-inspiring moment where you just kind of, I don't know. It's, this, it's hard to explain what took a name for that moment that makes you fall in love. But I would think... It was early, yeah, and, and it wasn't my deer hunting with a bow, but it was flying a falcon. Uh, she had made her first real kill uh, because she was a what they call an ice bird that I raised as a young bird. Okay, and so she didn't know how to hunt. I had to teach her to hunt, and in other words, I was the mother. Okay, yeah. teaching the the young falcon how to hunt. So it took a lot of time, and the the very first wonderful stoop that she made and killed a drake mallard uh i sat on the side of that pond just in total awe and looking around i was all by myself never flew a bird with 
other people. You kind of did. It was a, a loner sport, um, just because of the nature of it. it's very uncompetitive. It's you and the bird. And I sat on the side of the pond, just in total awe, and just fell in love. I'm at the foot of the Rockies in Colorado. Yeah, that's a pretty idyllic setting. A beautiful pond all by myself. And that's where I got really in love with everything wild. Yeah, that's amazing. So, okay, tell me about training a falcon to hunt. What does that entail? Uh, training a bird of prey <laughs> is unlike training any other animal because it's they're, it's all based on conditioned response. Okay. You cannot... If your falcon's a bad girl, you can't spank her. Right. (laughs) Not do it more than once because she's gone. She can just fly away. And it's conditioned response where the bird is kept not hungry, but keen. Okay. So there's a fine line there between starving a bird to do what you want it to do and keeping her keen and in good condition because if she's not in good condition, she can't catch game. Right. So, yeah, she has to be healthy and strong. Exactly. So it's all based on conditioned response to where you have trained them to come to you for food if they miss the intended quarry, which happens a lot. They only are successful maybe every third or fourth time, less than that in the wild. Okay. But uh, a well-trained falcon will come back to a lure, come back to a live lure if she's missed her, the head of game that she's after. So it's all conditioned response. You're offering her food and she's coming to you. Okay. And do they imprint like on you? Like is that A how young works? bird absolutely will. And those are the least desirable birds there are. The, really? Yeah, absolutely. Because they have no manners. Okay. It's like an untrained kid. It, okay. it, it's wild and it's like crazy. Like having a toddler. Yeah, they scream all the time. Yeah, I got and... I got a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> Try the condition response part. Yeah, they don't work. The potty training's been real fun. So yeah, okay. I would have thought of the opposite though. As... I would have thought the imprinting would have been. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, because like you know, it was a lab, like the loyalty there. There's no loyalty with the bird of prey. They're they're a wild animal that you have trained to be able to come live in their world so does do you have like is there an alpha response or i guess but birds don't have that no they don't and it's there are a couple of species of birds of prey that do become somewhat attached to you because they're solitary animals very solitary um harris hawk is one and a jeer falcon is the other they will become actually closer than any other species of bird but they are wild and they can fly away at any time and i had that experience the very first flight off of a long line they never looked back oh that's so pretty disappointing you know, all that a work month and a and half like- two months of training for a while, you know a bird that you trap out of the wild that already knows how to hunt is a much better hunter much better behaved and they're the ideal uh bird so to you, fly i just actually learned this is this is actually really uh, timely because I learned this yesterday how you trap them. Because my, <laughs> well, I didn't know this because the we have an intern right now in the science department at Ducks Limit, and he is an ornithologist. And um, Nick Wiley also our oh I forget his title right now, but it'll come to me later. But he's used to be chief scientist, and now he's like chief operating officer, maybe. But anyway, they were gonna uh, tag something. They were gonna band a couple of predatory birds and I they you basically put a mouse in a cage 
With nooses with all nooses. over it. With nooses. I was that, like, I didn't realize. Way. Yeah, that's, that's how they did it. Yeah, that's called a ball shattery. Okay, a ball shattery. Yes, learned a new term today. There you go. So yesterday I learned what the thing how was. And, how, yep. and he had did it himself. They tried the, the newer version of how to trap them, and then that didn't work. So they're going back to the old mouse oh, from the pet store. That works. Little nooses. Yeah. Yep, whatever. But yeah, it, it was a very, very... Um, inspiring hobby to be in. I yeah. won't call it a hobby sport. Yeah. Um, loved it, but it's very, very time consuming. So when I got into business uh, in my mid-20s uh, for myself, I didn't have time to, to train the birds adequately. It, it's a full-time job, literally, when you're flying falcons. So do you have multiple when you're doing it or you just have one that you're working with? Uh, you could only at that time have two birds of prey. There was there were several levels of falconer, um, a novice. You had to serve internships uh, underneath a master falconer. Wow. Okay. So uh, you were an apprentice, then this you became not a, a general. This is not for the light of heart. It, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It really is. There's uh, multiple tests you have to take, and you have to have a big facility to home the birds, house the birds in, uh, proper equipment, that type of thing. But uh, it, it got me involved heavily into the outdoors, and that's where I transitioned into the firearms world because I, I had to give up the birds timing-wise to run a business, which so happened to be a firearms business. Yeah, so, so when did you become interested in firearms? Because, I mean, you're doing all this. Is you, are you becoming interested during this at the same time, like simultaneously? Yes, semi-simultaneously because, of course, you, you used guns at certain times to get food for the birds or whatever. Okay, so yeah, I that was, makes sense. I was raised with pellet rifles on You're up. not going to the pet store? and you, No, mice are too expensive. <laughs> I did raise quail. That works real well because yeah. bird of prey has to, you can't just feed her hamburger, she'll die. Yeah. Uh, you can't just feed her nothing but steak, she'll die because birds of prey have to have roughage. Okay. Because their, their system is designed around uh, all those bones and fur going together and creating what's called a casting that they the pellets yeah. come back uh-huh. out, and that's what cleans out their digestive tract. So it's, it's you know necessary that you get wild game that has small bones and fur and whatnot. Yeah, and I'm guessing they don't want anything dead. They're, they want... Well, they'll, no, they, they'll definitely... Uh, yeah, stuff you put in, in the freezer, like a duck or oh, a rabbit, will. or oh, oh okay. abso- absolutely, yeah. To them, meat's meat. If you hand yeah. it to them, they're happy. Yeah, and it's just and you're a young kid though. It's cheaper just to go hunt for them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, were you growing up like? Were you like um, growing up like in the country area? Like, or were you in the city? Like, how were you? I lived in the suburbs to where I could walk and be in wide open fields and okay. that type of thing. Yeah. At the edge of suburbia, which is now the middle of <laughs> right, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not suburbia anymore. Nope. Um, okay. Okay, <clears throat> that makes sense. All right. So, what do you when you get into firearms? Where does your interest first go? I started in the firearms business, uh, and that's where I learned okay good stuff from bad stuff, and I became a collector. Obviously, uh, you fall in love with certain classes of firearms, which at first became lever-action rifles uh, because that was one of my first real guns that my dad gave to me was a Marlin 22 lever-action rifle, Model 39. I started collecting 
Marlin rifles, and then I uh, mature into nicer, although the Marlins were very high-end guns towards the end. Yeah, I was like, now you're okay, yeah. Which my entire Marlin collection went to Richard Ellis. Yeah, and, our friend uh, Richard. He sold that back in 1999, uh, and I fell in love with double guns, whether they be shotguns or double rifles, but my true love is double rifles which are, they look like side-by-side shotguns, but they shoot rifle cartridges. Right. So why? Why why double rifle? They were the highest form of quality firearm building back in the day. So craft. The craftsmanship was phenomenal. Uh, all the good guns were built in England pre-World War II, pre-1930, even pinpoint it further. They were sold to the elite um, princes, princesses, maharajas, and India and whatnot. And so that, to me, became what I wanted to collect primarily. And after the Marlin collection, I went into double rifles. So is there, can you narrow it down even more in double rifles? like Big calibers. Big calibers, <laughs> heavy, okay. Yeah, heavy, heavy, uh, dangerous game guns. Okay. All right, that's cool. And then what are the makers of, I don't, I, I don't know much. There's several companies back in the day that built the highest quality holland and holland okay. purdy uh rigby okay jeffries um they built side-by-side shotguns as well as double rifles so would they have like because you talk about this like there's like one guy that makes is it is he making them for each is there a guy at each place or is he kind of making yeah no they're it's somewhat like today's manufacturing process right. where you'll have several stations but one guy would typically build the gun from start to finish okay uh he would be capable of stocking it barreling it doing the action mating the action to the barrels regulating the gun engraving the gun they were real craftsmen in those yeah. days so it's a cottage industry yeah so that's what i'm asked i guess what i'm wondering is since they'd have this one guy that Specialized in, in this. So was he training the guys that end up going to different manufacturers? Absolutely. Okay. They had apprentices. And okay. Just like it is today as far as carrying on the tradition. Okay. Uh, and then it got a little more broken up to where there was a guy that did the barrels and one guy did the stocking. And But in the early days, it was one guy did it from start to finish and he would wear a trench around his bench walking around working on that gun that's such a lost oh it's totally art. lost art yeah and, and there are no companies today that build guns by hand yeah it's all cnc equipment and yeah i just wonder you know like this younger generation of hunters love the old stuff and it's been really interesting like we just did a camo exhibit and they like buying up all the ca old camo and they just love the old style thing. Well, you know, camo manufacturers would probably want to shoot me for saying this, but my granddad hunted in a red and black lumberjack jacket, you know, there, there was no such thing as scents or atomizers to cover your scent or any of that stuff. It was the number one scent was keep the wind in your face, you know, and your problems are solved. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I I love the old stuff too. Yeah, I do too. Uh, that's really interesting. Well, um, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and get more into the calls. Absolutely love to.
Stay tuned to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, after these messages. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. get into call collecting calls in general with how did that like evolution my call collecting started i guess more of as an assortment than as a collection because in my younger days growing up i'd try a call and if it didn't work for me i'd throw it in a drawer and buy another one and they were cheap plastic you know acrylic calls back in those days and before long i had probably 20 30 40 calls in a drawer and my dad finally gave me a set of Iverson match pair duck and goose call checkered that was made out of rosewood and it was just gorgeous. And that is probably my first set of real collectible type duck calls. Even though they were made in the 70s, they were still you right. know, beautiful and a work of art. And I couldn't bring myself to hunt them. Uh, they didn't blow to my style anyway, but... Uh, I put them up on a shelf in my bedroom and thought, darn, I got that drawer full of calls. I'll put them up there with them. And that's how my collecting started. So I just took off from there. That's crazy that your dad, who doesn't hunt, bought you. Did Iverson. not hunt. and he, But he knew that I loved and he promoted my hunting. I mean, he'd yeah. take me hunting yeah, and, okay. and just, you know, pick me up later. Okay. And, uh, you know, as a, a real young kid, I can remember him dropping me and my friend off to go duck hunting and his dad would come back and pick us up at the end of the weekend. And we lived off the land for you know, oh, that's crazy. the whole weekend, Friday to Saturday yeah. or Sunday night. And yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, that's, I've just really enjoyed the art of duck calls and whether it be, I'm primarily a vintage call collector, but you get to a point where um, they're harder and harder to find. And so I've moved a little bit into more of the contemporary calls, but primarily uh, the higher end collectible. So custom. Custom, high art, yeah, beautiful woods, checkering, that type of thing. Okay. So after you decide, you make the personal statement that I'm going to put these up here and I'm going to start collecting calls. Where do you go from there? Like what, what avenue do you start going down? Like types of calls you start collecting? Well, I started looking at other avenues. Okay. These are beautiful calls. What else is out there? So you start looking in trade journals and that was just prior to eBay. Yeah. Uh, So that was not available quite yet. Um, but I found out about the show in Chicago and <clears throat> would travel to that. And you could always find good old calls there and very collectible. And I started following books on duck calls. and So Howard Harlan's type? The Howard Harlan, yeah. uh, 
Donna Tonelli, um, Jim Fleming had a book on uh, more contemporary current call makers at that time. Uh, I started collecting in 95. Okay. Uh, seriously collecting. Um, so I've been doing it a while and uh, there were several shows around the country that you could go to and, and find right. duck calls, yeah, vintage duck calls. Right, because you're in Colorado. So Correct. that's not, you're not going to find many call Which, collectors in that area. In a way, that's a blessing because I didn't have a loyalty to Illinois calls right. or Arkansas calls. Yeah. I loved them all. It didn't right. matter. I, if it was made in Minnesota, I loved it. If it was made in Arkansas, I loved it. So I didn't have to have a loyalty and focus my collection on just Tennessee calls. I, I wanted them all. And I, I went to pawn shops. I went to flea markets, you know, wherever I thought I could find a call. And believe it or not, Colorado, a lot of people from this part of the world retired in Colorado, huh? Estes Park or somewhere like that. So, you know, we come across a few out there. That's... I've come across some really nice old calls. Yeah, I wouldn't think about that. No, yeah. But you, you have no competition. Oh, there's a few other call collectors. Yeah, yeah but even in 95? Oh, yeah. There was a couple. A couple. Um, I ran into a guy actually uh, at a flea market. I saw a duck call two or three tables up and I was making my move and this guy beat me to it. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you a duck hunter? That's not a good duck call for duck hunting. <laughs> he says, no, I collect these. And it's like, oh, okay. So, and we got to be friends. Okay. That's my next question. Yeah, you got yeah, to be friends. We got to be friends and, and duck hunting partners at the time. Oh, that's amazing. So that's another thing I find common with collectors. Um, you usually like find either a friend or a mentor early on. Um, was that was that similar for you because you were in Colorado or how did that work? I I got to know guys across the country, Joe Tonelli, um, Bob Christensen, these guys that had been doing it for years longer than I had, Howard Harlan, and learned from them. Okay, you know, and and pretty much got their leftovers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, okay. if they already had it in their collection, they'd call me and say, "Hey, I ran across another one of these. Are you interested?" Okay, so that that's how I I track down calls. It, it was very much a networking thing. Like I said, it was pre-eBay. Right. Uh, once he, eBay hit, it became a lot easier, just like a lot of things did. And in the early days of eBay, uh, it was pretty easy to, to come up with some nice calls. Now it's not quite as easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a much different situation. But the, the beautiful thing about collecting duck calls or even decoys or old guns, whatever it is, they're still out there. There's still phenomenal calls coming to market, fresh, what they call fresh to the market. There are, you know, um, there wasn't a good decoy, but yesterday I was in the museum, just, I go to the museum every morning, check on exhibits, you know, just kind of show my face. And um, this guy came up to me and had a picture of some masons. This is what he had. He didn't know what he had. Right. But I mean, they they were just standard, repainted, you know, a couple bills replacing. They weren't worth anything, but... But he has them, he has. and he has no idea what they are. So that's eventually one of those guys who has three decoys or three calls from his grandfather. You never They're going to be something nice. The you sad thing about decoys with the advent, you know, the, the old wooden blocks that right. they hunted over in those days, the sad thing about those is when the plastic decoys hit the market, they got burned up in fireplaces. You yeah. know, what do I do with these old things? Oh, uh, I and know. they just went into a fireplace and got burned up. 
duck calls have always been useful. So I think it's easier to find. They don't also keep you warm very long? No, no, (laughs) not worth burning. (laughs) And they fit in a drawer easier. (laughs) Yeah, that is, we were talking about that. Um, I interviewed Gigi Hopkins. Do you know Mm -hmm. she's? Yeah, wonderful interview. I very recommend listening to it. But she was, we had the, we lamented over the fact that every story of a collector. Ends up with, and the sack of decoys was burned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had a bunch of those, but we burned them. <laughs> yeah, we burned them. It's a very sad story, but you're right. It's a very different way of going about it because a lot of times when people recommend to collectors to get started, they recommend to find your niche, you know, so you're not buying everywhere and buying a lot of things that don't, you know, waste your money on things. But you didn't go that way, you went a different way. So, Okay, how would you describe your evolution of collecting and how you decided what you're going to collect and what you're going to keep, what you're going to sell? Like, how did you decide to fine-tune? I had a conversation. When I first got started collecting, it didn't matter. If it went quack, I wanted it. Okay. And before long, I had several hundred duck calls that were virtually worth, you know, they're $30, $40 calls. Yeah. And... I was talking to Joe Tonelli one night on the phone. He says, you need to slow down. He said... He probably said it not as nice as that. No, not quite as nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan can do a much better Joe Tonelli than I... He can do a great Joe Tonelli. So he said, you know, stop and and think of what you're doing here. At the rate you're going, you're going to have 2,000 duck calls and no time flat, but you're going to have a lot of nothing right you know air yeah and and that's great if that's what you want but i didn't want that i wanted higher end stuff and he says stop buying get rid of those trade for you know maybe it'll take 10 of those to get one of these but in the long run you'd rather have it right so i'm not a firm believer in more is not better but (laughs) my wife tells me that (laughs) uh so i I decided okay i'm going to focus on the better calls checkered calls, um, artsier calls, uh, more famous calls by rarer calls, that type of thing. And that's, that's kind of where I, I, I went. I still have over 2000 calls, but they're high end calls and not so much of the lower end stuff. If, if somebody like, uh, Charles Grubbs made low end calls and high end calls, well, I, I have, have, I want them all, but, um, He's a real famous guy in duck call history versus, you know, Falks or yeah. I just want the high-end Falks, the old Falks, stamped calls, that type of yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. So. Because that's a lot of variety of style. Do you have a preferred style of Without call? a question, um, checkered, sexy looking. So Arkansas or no? Or do you like My the- favorite duck call. Yeah, what's your favorite? All around is, without a doubt, an Ira Ferguson. That is the cream of the crop for me. Um, I love carved Purdue's. I've got a lot of carved Purdue's, uh, including Crown Stoppers. But the checkered winged panel calls, uh, hookers, carved calls, those are incredible. Beckhart carved calls, those are the ones I, I yeah. are my favorite. Okay. Head, head and shoulders above yeah. the rest. So that's you're looking for that. Are you still looking for that white well of that Beckard out there? 
They I've already got it. You already got it. <laughs> when did you the get the finest duck call ever made? Yes, was a call that uh, JT made for yeah. family. Yeah, the three. Oh, there's, there's two. There's two known. Two known. Supposedly one unknown. Yes, that's my baby. Yes, uh, and you've got that one. That is of without a doubt the finest duck call ever, ever made, and new in the box. You have it in the box. Nobody had ever seen. A JT Beckhart box. No. Big big Lake Duck Call that was absolutely brand new in the box. So you have one of them. The other one is with Jay Coochie's collection. Jay Coochie's collection. It came into auction at uh, Chicago. Well, the audience can't see this, but I'm looking at it. And yep, that's it. Oh, my gosh. That, to me, is the finest duck call in I existence. Think, yeah, well, I don't think it's just to you. I think that's to the collective It's the community. Holy Grail. Yeah, it's the Holy but Grail. But there's one more out there, there supposedly. Is. That's what I said. The so, white whale of duck call collecting yeah. is still floating But does around. it have a box, and is it brand new? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't know. We don't know. Don't know. So, I forget. It was two. Was it for his daughters? Has he made three of them? Is uh, it, or, I, I don't remember if it was for his daughter. I actually bought it from a family member. Yeah, it was uh, three. that came to me. Okay. And that call has a really funny story. It had been stolen. Okay. From the family, uh, the guy put it on eBay. Everybody thought it was fake, of course. Some people knew it wasn't, and the police tracked him down. Got the call because of his eBay posting. Uh, and returned it to the family. Oh, my gosh. And a couple years later, I had seen the call and knew about it, but he didn't have the box pictured. But that family member contacted me and said, are you interested in this call? The family wants to diversify themselves of it. It's become a, a real issue. And I said, absolutely. And he came from back here all the way out to Colorado to hand deliver it. And I got it. Wow. So What a phone call to receive. Yeah, when was this? Oh, that's been 20 years ago, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, aren't you lucky? Rather have luck than skill. That's true. That's 100% <laughs> true. I can't, I did not realize that you were the only, you were the one who had that call. I should have known that, honestly. No. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's pride and joy. Yeah, I would have Although I have several others that, again, Ferguson's. Right. No, if. I mean, if there's one call you can look at and put a finger on who made that call, it's an Ira Ferguson. Right. Yeah, it has a very unique... Very unique. Uh, very few of them out there. He made it in both Arkansas, Arkansas style and real foot style. And I've got both of those. Uh, I think there's only a couple of the Arkansas style. Yeah, so they're mostly real foot style is what I've seen. Refill. Yep. Very, very beautiful call. Yeah. I wonder where that um, other Beckhart is. You Who know, knows? Hopefully, they get burnt in a fire. Fell in a lake. Who knows? <laughs> yes. You know, and the, I mean, even though that was a very expensive call in its day, that was yeah. probably a ten dollar call. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, although it was made for family, um, people didn't look at things like they do today. Uh, they weren't collectors. They didn't collect things like we do now. No, that was a utilitarian object. It was a right. tool with a purpose. To a pretty tool for family. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he just made that special for And it sat in a drawer in a sock, wrapped up in a sock for 70, 80 years. Well, it's like the other one that Jay Cucci has was in um, a woman's underwear drawer for exactly. years. All right, so now at your point in collecting, what is it that you're searching for? What am I looking yeah, for? Yeah, what are you looking for? Um, at this point, pretty much duplicates 
of the higher end calls. I will never pass the opportunity at a pickle or a, another Clifford or, or something okay. like that. But um, I would say there's a few makers that I'm missing, not as important to me as the other ones because they may be plain or whatever. But the, the high art calls will always interest me. Yeah. You know, they're, and it's trade material. Yeah. It's also trade material. Yeah. So, I mean, are they are, again, I, I know from talking to Ryan, because that's really how he built his collection is by amassing trading. Amass- yes. Yep. So Absolutely. All, that helps you to get the next big one you want. Sure. It's a business in a way. Well, kind of. Yeah. yeah but, but your focus is on getting more. Exactly. And all of them. Right. Know? There's no such thing as too many duck calls. <laughs> I bet your wife disagrees with that. Uh, no, she doesn't. She does she, not. She oh, thoroughly enjoys You're lucky it. that way, too. She enjoy, <laughs> well, she's a hunter, so as a matter of fact, she's guided Ryan Graves. Oh, wow. Yeah. That she, makes me very happy. There's yeah. not a lot of women hunters out there. It makes me nope. happy. <laughs> of course, with Ryan, she had to say, are you going to shoot these ducks going by? Because you're on your phone and my dog wants a retreat. <laughs> it's over there whining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, she loves to hunt. She uh, She's big turkey hunter, waterfowl hunter. She says she does it for the dog, but I don't know if I believe that. But we, yeah, I mean, that's, to me, waterfowl hunting is about dog and I, yeah. that I love that. It, so. it is. You know, I grew up and um, we never got to have it. My dad would never train a dog. And he goes, he had, well, he had two children and we were the dogs for many, many years. And it's back. Yeah. Um, you got to call her again. <laughs> so my brother, when he got to college and like had his own money, he like bought, like I guess right out of college, he had his own money and had the time to train one when he was in grad school. And oh, that first dog, I love that dog so oh, much. Yeah. It was the first time, like we never really had a dog and we were like, finally, like we got to feel what it was like to. You weren't the dog anymore. Yes, it yeah. was so, I love that dog so much. Um, it was very different, which people are usually surprised to hear that because I grew up hunting. But yeah, like, no, my dad would never. Never get a dog. You know, and it's, it's uh, I think it's a huge part of waterfowling today is is the dog work. And, and it always has been, but that, that's. Well, can, a good dog makes a big difference. Oh, absolutely. And a bad dog makes a yeah, a bad dog will ruin a hunt. Um, but yeah, just to, to watch their desire and, and their ability, it's just incredible. And my dog, and I never, I swear, I never trained her to do this, picks up the decoys. But she she will swim through those decoys to pick up a duck on the far side. I never told her to do this. She learned it on her own, <clears throat> and she knows when the hunt is over. Oh, wow. When you get out of the blind she starts picking up decoys. The only downside is she has sharp teeth and I'm constantly <laughs> putting silico- clear silicone and tooth marks to oh, keep yeah. them from sinking. <laughs> but yeah, she. It, I mean, things like that, that's all part of the whole experience to get to enjoy that. So another question I like to really ask collectors is kind of advice for people that want to get in, especially because we're at Callapalooza and this will be an event that has people like that are might get interested in collecting. What is, what is your advice you would give to somebody that's interested? Probably pick, uh, be a little bit more specific, whether it's contemporary calls, vintage calls, whatever. Everybody starts out like I did where they just, you know, get as many calls as they can, but you know, focus, pick something and focus on it. And, and rather than, I, I would re- much rather have one high-end call than 100 low-end calls because 
A, 100 calls takes up a lot of display space versus one call. And and down the road, I think that's probably, I see this in firearms, high-end firearms versus middle-of-the-road firearms. The market will go flat in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's always somebody for the low end, and there's always somebody for the high end. Yeah. But the middle-of-the-road stuff can fall flat. And it's the same with decoys. It's the same with firearms. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was but, looking at, uh, did you look at Leland Little's auction today at all? No, did not. It was, it, they had, it was very like exactly what you're saying. It was, um, they had a lot of long rifles in there, which I'm not particularly interested, but you probably would have been. But yeah, it was like the high end stuff, like exactly as you would expect it. Right. The low end stuff, you know, stated that. And then it was, yeah, it was definitely a, a it, flat. It, we right. hear hear so much about how flat the economy is and blah, 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 blah. You know what? The air's thinner at the top. Yeah. But there's still a lot of people out there with a lot of money. And they still buy them. these high-end firearms, uh, there's only so many of them out there. And it's just like high-end duck calls. There's only so many of them out there. Right. Those will always command a huge premium. And they're going up at a huge rate. So it's not only a collection that you get to enjoy and part of what you love, but it, you've got to look at it as an investment. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you have to. The last few, like D- Guy and Dieter, um, even Copley has had calls oh, lately. Sure. What are your thoughts on calls coming into these bigger auctions? Like they're typically decoys and sporting art. I, I see it. Well, I mean, it is folk art. It is sporting mm-hmm. art. Oh, yeah, I agree. So it belongs it there. It does belong there. Um, but it's new, really, to there. Fairly new. Uh, Guy and Dieter has done it much longer. Much, much longer. Um, but Steve O'Brien had some great duck calls 20 years ago. Oh, did he? When he first started, yeah. Okay. I bought several really nice yeah. calls from him. But I, I think it's, it's a great avenue for everybody to get a shot at something. Um jump in there and play and yeah it's it's probably gonna bring top dollar unless people are sleeping but uh it gives everybody a chance to play and that's it's a great avenue for people to dispose of a collection whatever um that i see it in the firearms market yeah uh, more and more and more every day and and there's new firearms auctioneers coming on well guy and dieter just Started doing a full Gaia, fire, a firearms. Well, thing. that made sense for them. Um, it did make perfect sense. Like I talked to John several times, and he would say, like, you know, we'd have to basically step over shotguns to get exactly. the decoys, and, and that made no sense. Yeah, and especially uh, Wes Dillon's a, a duck hunting friend of mine, okay. partner, and he comes and hunts. We hunt a lot together. Yeah, he's a great guy, um, and probably the most knowledgeable firearms guy I have ever met. Um, he's he actually started uh, the Cabela's Gun Library. Okay, and then yeah. moved to be the curator of uh, James Julia's auction for the firearms division. So super super knowledgeable guy. He's handled more high end one of a kind type guns than anybody I know. When I was at the Colorado Gun Collector Show just a week ago, there were probably ten or twelve booths that were auctioners coming on oh wow so it wasn't just you know richie's or uh guy and dieter it was you know poolins of course is huge um there were people i'd never heard of and so there's there's and and again that's online stuff a lot of it's yeah. online but there's auctions all over the country for yeah. firearms and you'll see it happening with 
decoys and duck calls and sporting art and everything else. So it's just inevitable. Yeah, I, I talked to John a lot about um, what you're going to do. Oh, gosh, I just forgot his name. That works for John, uh, does decoyforsale.com. And the impact that has had on new collectors. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I have it. I can't, uh, Dave Nebo? No, no. Okay. It's a young guy that just, he is kind of running that. And it's, I can picture his face right now. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. With Guy and Dieter. With Guy and Dieter oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. he's running that. Um, Not, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but he's running decoys for sale. And we were talking kind of like the impact that it had on new collectors. And it's, it's good. I think it's a good it's thing. It's great. It's like eBay. Yeah, but it's eBay with security. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, you don't get that everywhere. No. And that's that's what I tell people that ask me about firearms. Is this auction, you know, is this a good gun for me to buy? And it's like, you know what? I can't tell from a picture no. if it's been reblued, refinished, whatever. But do they offer... A, do they honor their description? If they say it's an original gun, do they honor that? Right. And that's who you want to deal with. And Guyette and Dieter, you know, those guys, yeah. they all... Steven, yeah. Yeah, they all write great descriptions and they live with it. Yeah. If you get the, the item and it's not what they described it as, you get to return it. Yeah. So that's that's it's huge. A, it's very It's big. insurance. Yes, exactly. Well, all right. So I've taken up a lot of your time and no worries if you've really got more good. ask. <laughs> um, I don't know if we covered what you wanted. So is there anything that you would like to add for our audience? Other than I think it's great what you're doing. I think that's <laughs> really cool. Um, it opens things up to a lot more people. People that have never been exposed to duck calls you know now they're getting exposed to it because a lot of people follow to you that's yeah that's huge i mean i grew up in ducks limited and i grew up duck hunting which our audience obviously knows um and i but i grew up in the mississippi delta and we are strangely void of historic calls and decoy making it's an odd little hole in the in the yeah, waterfowl world a lot of that is because the time length that has passed since those calls were so widely used, yeah. they've scattered all over the country. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing where I have found high high end, beautiful quality vintage duck calls from all over the country, and I think a lot of it is because Arizona yeah. people went to retire in Arizona. You know, they lived in. So basically, Mass you're telling me I need to like go to Florida and like, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> find the cotton tops and say, "What have you got in your drawer?" <laughs> That's his advice, guys. No, no, it's <laughs> I'm <not>. kidding. <laughs> well, all right, this has been really fun. Thank Absolutely, you so much. Thank you. Enjoyed it immensely. All right. Um, thanks, Lynn, for coming on the show. Thanks to our producer, Chris Isaac. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU Podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. 
Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 